Luke 24, 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were there perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living from the dead, among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by himself, by themselves, and he went home, marveling at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I will never forget the look of absolute horror on Billy's face when I ran into him. I'd expected at least a smile or a hug, but his face was a mixture of both horror and fear. It was as if he had seen a ghost. I was a bit pale that day, but didn't think I looked too bad. I even think he let out a bit of a gasp. This was a man I'd known since I was 15 years of age, and on that day for at least 10 years. I'd counted him a friend and an influence, indeed more than an acquaintance, but this reaction was one I'd never had before. That may surprise you, of course, that I'd never had such a reaction of fear and horror before. I've had looks of disgust and eyes being rolled at me, not just from my wife, but never anything like that on Billy's face that day. You see, for at least the previous five years, Billy was living under the impression that I was dead. Seriously. He had thought that Trevor was no longer deceased, no more. And I think he'd been a bit upset about it, though his face was more than fear factor than exuberant smiles and a joyful outburst of, you're alive. What had happened was that a mutual friend of ours, Alan, had told him that sadly a young relative of Alan's had died, whose name was Trevor, five years previous. So for those five years, Billy's understanding was that the deceased Trevor was me. He had quite literally believed that he had seen a ghost. He couldn't believe what he was looking at. He was incredulous. And I guess, were you Billy, you'd be exactly the same. A similar look of shock on your face, the same disbelief, the same horror written all over it, I guess. We don't expect to meet those whom we know, or at the very least we think, to be dead. Only in horror films or fantasy stories or zombie films or Twilight do we meet the living dead. So you can only imagine what the women and the man in this evening's passage thought and how they reacted. You see, they had known Jesus when he was alive. They had watched him die. They had heard him cry out with his last gasp of breath, it is finished. And the women had seen him to be buried in that lone tomb. Now, three days later, day one of these events being the Friday, they find out that he is being reported as being alive. Well, how do they react? You'd imagine they'd have been overjoyed, welcoming the news, any shred of hope in an otherwise disastrous moment. But no, instead, disbelief, incredulity, skepticism, and in fact, in the words of the men who listened to the report of the women, they dismissed it as rank nonsense, insane. 
the ramblings of mad people, rubbish. And those men were the 11 apostles. They were the first Christian unbelievers or skeptics. In fact, doubting the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is not a 21st century phenomenon. It was right there in the first century AD. So what convinced them, and how did we get from deep unbelief to those who prepared to die for the sake of this risen Lord? Well, in these first 12 verses of chapter 24, we read what those who were there saw, heard, and said. So what they saw in verses 1 to 3, take a look in your own Bibles. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. First, the women saw nothing. Or to put it more fully, no one. Or indeed, to put it absolutely specifically and accurately, no body. The few verses at the end of chapter 23 make clear that making a mistake is impossible for these women as to getting the right tomb. There was simply no way that they'd gone to the wrong place. They'd watched Jesus's cold, lifeless, beaten body laid in a tomb cut into the rock. They saw the body with the clothes, the grave clothes. In fact, they saw the burial where Jesus's body was shown more dignity than in his death. These women were the devoted female followers of Jesus Christ. They were no fly-by-night or fickle women who just hung around Jesus when the crowd was for him. They supported and traveled with Jesus from the outset. And unsurprisingly, Luke, the careful researcher and compiler of this gospel, ensures that fact-checking would, would be possible with these women. He lists them in verse 10. He says, Go, as I've checked out, what I've heard has happened and recorded it for you. You can do it for yourself too. Here's their names. We can assume that he had phoned them on their mobiles, sent them an inquiry email just to double check. Are you sure you got the right tomb, Joanna? No chance you were delirious with sadness and took a wrong turn. After all, you traveled when the darkness was just disappearing, not fully disappeared, Mary. Any possibility you got it wrong, Mary? How's your big son, James? No, no, and no would have been the consistent answer. Sure, there were more than three of us. You see, Jesus' burial is part of the gospel. It's one of the elements Paul references in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 5, and that he was buried. You see, Jesus really did die. He really was human after all, not a figment or a ghost or an ethereal being. He did what every human being does or will do, die. So they went to the right tomb and they saw it was empty. They had brought burial spices in the absence of embalming. This was a way to slow the process of decomposition and give it less of a pungent fragrance. It couldn't be done the day before day two because that was a Sabbath. They expected to visit a dead body, but they didn't. Instead, the tomb was empty. That's the first clue as to the resurrection. No body in the grave. The stone covering the entrance to the grave had been pushed aside. These women didn't witness the resurrection. It was God's work of new creation. 
Jesus being the first fruits out of the grave, was done in secret, but its effects known and felt across the world. They didn't find the body of Jesus in that tomb because simply it wasn't there. There is, of course, doubt around the world, doubt over the centuries, doubt in every section of society about this resurrection, doubt deeply that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. It just doesn't look or seem possible that someone who is once dead could now be alive. So what convinced them? Well, it wasn't what they saw. That raised the questions as to what happened. Rather, it was what they heard. What they had heard from the lips of Jesus, what they had known and read from their Old Testaments. Let's read verses 4 to 8. While they were wandering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. These men with whom they were conversing weren't just ordinary men. They were messengers from God, the gleaming clothes radiant with heavenly beauty, maybe like Jesus at the Transfiguration. At the beginning of Luke's gospel, messengers like men announced the birth, birth of Jesus. Now similar messengers, two of them, avoiding any possible doubt, announce his resurrection. But listen to how they do it. In fact, maybe cringe with the women who first heard these words because in them there are two gentle rebukes. The first one, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. That would have stung because whilst they'd come to the right place, these women had come to entirely the wrong place, a graveyard. Life was never going to be the same again. Jesus was alive, no longer dead. The great and glorious work of raising Jesus from the dead had taken place, but these women didn't think that it was possible at all. We can now no longer look into graves ever the same. Because of Christ's empty grave, those who are in Christ will be raised from the grave to be with him forever. On this Easter day, talk of the resurrection is really good news, isn't it? Particularly since there's so much talk about grief and death everywhere you look and listen. Without the words of the messengers, they wouldn't have known what had happened. Or would they? Listen to the second gentle rebuke. Remember how Jesus told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. You see, these words of Jesus or why they shouldn't have been surprised at the fact the tomb was empty. Jesus had spoken about his death and resurrection with precise detail. All they needed to do was to count to three. He told them in Luke chapter 9, verse 22, and elsewhere throughout his gospel. Persistently, rejection was what Jesus faced every day, delivered into the hands of sinful men, both Jew and Gentile, crucifixion on day one. And verse three, if you note, also has within it the word must. This was a divine must. 
It was God's plan. It had to happen. The death of Jesus was not a mistake. It was not a moment of divine horror or the deity's error or that God was entirely taken by surprise. Underline the must in your Bibles. The centerpiece of all of history was not a moment of blind panic from God, nor a loss of the steering wheel by God causing the most catastrophic fatal accident. It was God's plan. The Son of Man must. Jesus said it. The certainties of the rejection of Jesus, the crucifixion and wait for it, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You notice how news of the resurrection was conveyed to the women. What well, was done through the word of God. Notice these angels, these messengers, didn't make something up or do something extraordinary in these extraordinary circumstances. They simply said, go check the words of Jesus. Even these heavenly messengers were bound by it. There was no repeating the miracle of resurrection. There was no pulling up the security CCTV from inside the tomb and seeing the lifeless body of Jesus breathing again. Maybe if it was available, having the sound on as well. Sometimes that's what we crave, isn't it? To see a miracle, even this miracle of resurrection. No, it was the words of Jesus which were spoken again that convinced the women. This chapter 24 has three moments like this in it. The angels speak the words of the scriptures to the women in verse 7. Jesus speaks the words of Scripture in verse 27 to the two men on the road to Emmaus, going right back to Moses, the first five books of the Bible, the prophets all the way from Isaiah through to Malachi, and the Psalms. Then in verses 45 and 46, Jesus speaks to disciples gathered at the shore, and what does he do? He does a growth group. Open your Bible, guys, at page one, and let's take it from there. How will we convince the world about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? In the midst of the scientific rationalization our Western world is so known by, I'll only believe it if I see it or measure it or repeat the experiment. It is only the Bible that will convince, only the words of Jesus that will convert. That's radical, isn't it? In the midst of the philosophical cleverness so characteristic of the 21st century city dweller, what do we use to persuade? Do we seek to reproduce the miraculous or draw in by a better argument than the preacher, sacred or secular, down the street? No, it's the Bible that will convince. Am I saying that we shouldn't look at all of the arguments against and pick them to pieces? No, absolutely not. But the way that people will be convinced is by the word of Christ. Christ will convince them by his word. So these women saw and heard. What did they now say? Well, as the word of God was taking shape in the minds of these women, they were turned into messengers. That's always the way, isn't it? Let's read what happened, verse 9 to 12. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. 
When you come face to face with the living God through the word of God, you cannot help but become a messenger of God. You have to tell someone. These people didn't have to attend a course in evangelism telling the gospel. It was spontaneous. Now, the fact that it is these women who are given the task of bringing this message might well be a rebuke to the other disciples who also should have known better. They were the ones to whom Jesus had given his teaching directly. Notice that Luke calls them apostles in verse 10, not disciples, a term which means that they were the ones who in theory had been sent out with a commission. That is what apostle means. But those who should have been sent out were sent to. And what was the reaction? Marvelous news, of course. We should have seen it. Yes, Jesus did tell us, didn't he? Not a bit of it. They did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Luke uses a medical phrase here. It's a term normally used by Greek medics to describe the ramblings of fevered and insane minds. That is how much they rated their message. After all, they were women, they might have thought. What else could you expect? In spite of all that Jesus had taught and the dignified place he had given to women, the cultural correctness of the time still held sway. Women were considered to be so unreliable that they were not permitted to give evidence in a Jewish court of law. And yet it is women God uses to bring evidence before the apostles. But isn't this always God's way? To those who are despised and weak to be able to shame the so-called able? How does Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 1, 27? Quote, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong, so that no one may boast before him. When eventually his disciples did believe, they did so reluctantly and shamefully. Having deserted Jesus, having failed to listen to his teaching, having failed to believe his messengers, they were in no position to give themselves a self-congratulatory pack on the back for being exemplary believers. They were humbled. No boasting for them. However, there was at least one who, whilst not particularly believing, did at least do the sensible thing and check out things for himself. Look at verse 12. Peter however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering what had happened. Maybe the light was beginning to dawn after all. Notice he ran to the tomb, indicating some sort of expectancy, perhaps hope, excitedly running. What does he see? Well, actually a very significant detail. The strips of cloth have been wrapped around Jesus' body lying by themselves. That is, not unwrapped and lying in a pile in the corner, but lying flat as if the body had miraculously passed through them. Of course, Peter went away scratching his head, trying to figure out that one. But do you see how detail after detail provides clue after clue, pointing towards one inescapable conclusion? Jesus rose bodily from the dead. The death process had been set in reverse. The damning effects of sin had been undone. No other philosophy or religion in the world has a message like this one. Sure, there's all sorts of speculation and wishful thinking about being reunited in the great out there, but nothing based upon hard evidence with good, solid reasons to believe. Of all the people on this planet, we have cause to be joyful people. 
for we do not walk through this life alone. We have a risen Savior, and we need not fear death alone, for we have a conquering Savior who will transform the lowly bodies of ours to be like his glorious resurrection body, to be with him for all of eternity. And that is very good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for raising Jesus from the dead. We praise you, Heavenly Father, that this news has reached us. We praise you, Heavenly Father, that we're able to now be messengers with this message to the ends of the earth. We pray that you enable us to speak to those who need to hear this in these days. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.